AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike, joined this week by my co-host and wife, Kelsey. How are you? Cracking open a cold one. Cold brew, that is. That is a just my normal can of cold brew. Today, the question is, is it okay for actors to drag the movies that sometimes either kickstarted their careers or just came at a point where they really needed these roles? Because, ooh, he has some drama here that I wasn't expecting. I got some thoughts. In the movie review, we'll be talking about the new Hunger Games movie. It's the prequel to the movies we know and love. And then in the trailer park, we have a look at Marvel's, well, not the MCU Marvel, but the Sony Marvel. They're making Madam Web, and I think it actually looks pretty good. Wait, there's a Sony Marvels now? Yeah. There's the Disney Marvel, and the Sony Marvel has always been, this is great for me to talk with you because I, I feel like I just know it. I think you need to make a diagram and sell it on the interwebs. So there's the MCU, which is Disney, Sony Marvel side. Now the Fox Marvel has been bought by Disney. So that's why there's the Deadpool Wolverine movie happening. So the Sony side has like all like the lower tier characters, mostly villains. So they're making Madam Web and the trailer just came out. This is like when I try to explain to you who on the housewives doesn't like each other. Exactly. This is how you feel. <laughs> and that I'm learning about a little bit. Yeah, you have been watching it with me lately. Yeah, all right. So we'll get into the episode <laughs> now. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being subscribed. Shout out to the Monday Morning Movie Crew. And now, let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. So the internet is in a debate because of what Jacob Bellorty said about really the movie. Did they put him on the map? It was his first major role. I was going to say they put him on the map. I already knew of him a little bit, but I feel like to get a movie franchise on Netflix that have not one, not two, but three movies, a trilogy, so recent, the first one came out in 2018, I've never seen somebody drag a movie so quickly. So what happened exactly? So I sent this to you earlier in the week. I got my pulse on the celebrity drama and mm-hmm. I was like, we got to talk about this. Jacob Elordi said that the Kissing Booth movies are ridiculous and that before he even did them, he thought they were ridiculous. And I feel like he even along the line said he like didn't want to do them. Yeah, he did not want to do them. And I really feel like it's a case of biting the hand that feeds you. Yeah. Slash burning bridges. One thing my parents taught me, you never burn a bridge. I had a job I hated out of college. You leave on as good a terms as you can. You just don't go public with like, I hate this. I wish I hadn't done them. Like, don't most actors start out doing things they end up hating? You, for the most part, unless you get really lucky getting your first role being something iconic that also you 
like being remembered for. It's a foot in the door. Yeah. I don't think anyone watches the kissing booth and says, wow, this should have been nominated for an Oscar. It can't be fun. Like, it's just silly. I don't know why he's like acting. It's like all of a sudden you do euphoria and you play Elvis in an A24 movie and you think you're like God's gift to this earth. That's what I was going to say. It kind of feels like the kid in high school who used to be nerdy and then one summer they get taller and ripped and then they come back and they don't, they alienate all those nerd friends they had. I feel like that's what he's doing right now. I don't think we had anyone like that in my school. Oh no, we had that. And to be like, I didn't even want to do them. It's like, is that true? Or were you like, wow, I finally got a role? I don't think that's true. I, I think at that moment to get anything on Netflix and to get a franchise is an actor's dream. I think he is hot right now as far as the terms of his career of he has a lot of roles coming to him now. He can be a little bit more selective because I even saw him saying things about he was upset at things they didn't let his character do. He said it was BS that his character in the movie couldn't smoke cigarettes. So it just feels like he's trying to be way too cool now to look back on those roles. Yeah, because a lot of teens are watching those movies. And I think we as a society have decided that smoking cigarettes is not great for your health. So let's not model it. Now, I realize people in Euphoria are doing terrible things that people shouldn't be modeling either. But I'm just saying Euphoria is not targeted towards like young teens. I feel like Kissing Booth is just like it's pretty mild. I feel like most people could watch it. And we watch those movies and we knew how ridiculous they were, but that's that kind of, that genre of film. It weirdly made us like them more. Yeah, like you know that, you know what you're going into when watching a movie like that. You're not expecting to have a cinematic experience. You just want to watch something that's a little bit mindless, like you said, campy, and just, you know what it is. It is like watching a Hallmark Christmas film. I would say a higher quality But Hallmark, I'm saying yeah. in like a formulaic, you know what you're getting, you know what you're getting into. You're not expecting this to like be nominated for Oscars. So yeah, I thought that was not great of him. Kind of makes him come off like a douchebag. A little bit, yeah. Overall, how do we feel though, in general about actors talking crap about their movies and dragging their roles? In this case, I would say I'm not okay with it because it's so soon. I love it. I love the drama. I love somebody being able to speak openly about having a bad experience with the director, with the fan base. I think that creates a great dialogue. and It also makes actors feel more human to me. But I feel like from a business standpoint, to be so close to it to where you could still want to go back and work with Netflix, a bad move, but I love the drama. There's a difference between looking back on your career and saying you didn't like a part versus Mm -hmm. just like completely roasting something that kind of launched your career. Like, I think there's a difference. And I also think the point of being an actor is to get better and better and to get better roles. Like, I don't think the intent is to, again, yes, there are some people who like get launched into stardom with a role in like a Scorsese film or something, but Mm. that's not most people. Most people start out not even getting Netflix, doing like low budget things. Like this was probably not low budget because it was Netflix. He probably got paid well for it. And it's also dragging the fans of you in that film and making them seem almost less than for enjoying that. Yeah. They probably discovered you from watching those movies and they still like going back and watching those movies because you were in that, in those movies. And here you're out saying, ah, they're terrible. And anybody who likes them should feel bad. That's how I feel from the statement. I think it's no different than looking back. If I looked back at pictures of like outfits I wore 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. I could laugh on them. Yeah. 10 years. I almost feel like 10 years is the number. (laughs) I feel like you have, you can laugh at yourself or laugh at projects you've done or whatever. But I think again, there's the fine line between laughing and making the audience part of the laughter and being like, oh man, like I know those were silly, but like people loved them. And then there's like making fun of the project and the audience, which I think is what he did. Mm-hmm. Feels just a little snooty. Yes. Like he's way highbrow now. Yes. So what we're going to look at is some other actors who have dragged their roles either because they didn't like the way the end product came out, they didn't like their performance, or it came at a point in their career where it felt like a step back for them. So the first one I have is George Clooney saying why he didn't like doing Batman and Robin, called it a mistake, and said he even had a poster of that movie afterward to remind him not to do movies solely for a commercial purpose, which is what Batman and Robin was. They were still cashing in on the success of Batman throughout the 90s and riding that wave. And really, that movie was made to create toys. 
and to sell products to kids because there was no value to that movie inside of the Batman world aside from being able to launch another toy line, aside from being able to, you know, sell tickets. And the only, even the suits in that movie were created for the sole purpose of making the exact same toy to sell to kids. So the direction of that movie, that was it. It was focused on that. And then you have George Clooney in the bat suit with the bat nipples. You had a terrible story. You had a terrible villain and arguably the worst Batman movie of all time. In that one, I feel like he can look back at and say, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. Also, he's George Clooney. He's had a much more storied career. He's spanned decades. He's mm-hmm. done lots of things. I feel like he can... Again, Jacob Elordi is so new. Yeah, you look at yeah George Clooney in the 90s. He could have done any movie he wanted to. And I think at that point, it's cool to be able to say that you are Batman for any actor. Yeah. So I think that's probably why he leaned towards the role, even though maybe he didn't believe in the script or even believe in the director, thinking, okay, I want to be Batman and we'll see what happens. But then looking back on, yeah, that probably wasn't a good idea. Yeah, I don't feel... I feel like that one's acceptable. Next up, I have Jessica Alba, who did not like her role in Fantastic Four playing Susan Storm. How did I know that was going to be the role she didn't like? And that after that movie, which which there were two movies, she almost quit acting altogether because it was a horrible experience. The director criticized her during an emotional scene where she was crying, asked her to make it look more real and also find a way to cry prettier. So it also feels like the director relationship in this movie was pretty awful. They were very judgmental, particularly on her and the way she was acting. And... They even had to CGI in tears afterwards because of her performance. Also, who cries pretty? Have we seen Kim Kardashian's (laughs) ugly cry? You gotta cry ugly. Look like I've been thinking about that a lot. Of how hard it is for actors who have an emotional scene to make themselves cry. Like, what do they have to think about? And I was like, I don't know what I would think about because, especially because you have to keep doing it over and over again and remaking yourself feel emotional. You also don't get emotional super easy. Mm -mm. I could think of a lot of things. I I could read a story on the internet about like a sweet old man who gets invited to his neighbors for tea. And like, I could cry (laughs) thinking about that. I cry like 17 TikToks a day. But going back to the movie and fantastic four, which both of the movies from the two thousands, I feel like aren't great movies. I feel like there's never been a great fantastic four movie, which is surprising to me that they are now going to reboot it yet again. I saw the rumor that Pedro Pascal is set to star in the movie And everybody's excited about it, but I just can't see it again. I think we need to put that franchise to bed. I don't think you need to make another Fantastic Four movie. Put it to bed, tuck it under the covers, put it to sleep. Let's not not wake it up anymore. I just think the characters don't translate onto the big screen because they work in the comic books. But when you try to make the live action movie, the action just comes across so cheesy. Mr. Fantastic, his abilities just look kind of lame. So I'm not that excited for a Fantastic Four movie. I think if anybody would give me any interest, it would probably be Pedro Pascal right now because he is in everything and does a really great job in any movie he's in. But overall, I don't really think we need to reboot that series, but I guess that's what Marvel is trying to do right now. But I could see Jessica Alba looking back on that role and thinking, wasn't great for me. I can see bringing up like the director part like that. It's fine. Like, yeah, speak out against like Mm -hmm. crappy people in power. And for Jessica Alba, who really hasn't acted much since the late 2000s. So, yeah, I can see that one. Has she ever had like a great role, though? Great point, because there are some actors who I feel like we put in an A-level category. I was about to say, I feel who have like never had a great role. A-list, and I can't think of a great movie she's done. She is an A-list cele- celebrity, but she doesn't have that quintessential iconic role that everybody knows her for. I would also put Gwyneth Paltrow in that category even though she's even though she's won an oscar i don't feel like she has like that one defining role that is like ah i see gwyneth paltrow and i think of this role not even pepper Potts. i just think of goop honestly yeah i feel like there's a lot of actors like that that we hold up to this high standard maybe it's because they i don't know their life is maybe more so relevant than their actual acting career or who they've dated or something. I feel like the fact that Gwyneth did Shallow Howl really should take her out of the running to be Oh, yeah. She also made the list. She regrets that movie because it doesn't really hold up well. It does not hold up. Which a lot of stuff from the early 2000s does not hold up well. 
even I was watching the trailer for the new Garfield movie and Chris Pratt is the voice of Garfield now and everybody's mad because it just sounds like Chris Pratt again. And he just was in the Super Mario Brothers movie. And that's where, what people were mad about. Where everybody it hated like Chris Pratt. But if you go back and watch even old Garfield cartoons, there are just scenes of him like ripping fat people, which is weird when Garfield himself is an overweight cat. But even things as innocent as kids' cartoons don't even hold up. No. But yeah, looking at Shallow Hell, that's probably one of the most highly successful comedies that does not hold up whatsoever. It's so bad. But even 2009, The Hangover, there are some quotes in that movie. There are quotes that made the trailer of The Hangover that you would be shocked by. If you go watch that trailer on YouTube, you will be shocked by some of the language used in that trailer, how it does not hold up. And that's- One that does hold up. Is this the real Caesar's Palace? Did he live here? <laughs> Gosh, I love that movie. Another one that made the list was Ben Affleck. And you're probably wondering which role. Is it Geely? Is, <laughs> is it, it Batman? <laughs> it is not Batman. It is actually Daredevil. He says that it's the only movie that he regrets, that he loves the story, he loves the character, but feels like the execution of that movie did not do well. That's the only one. That's the only one. Bold statement, Benny. But essentially, Daredevil was his motivation to do Batman because I think he wanted to get the superhero genre right, which I feel that Ben Affleck was not a bad Batman. I think he was- The movie was bad. The movie was bad, but his performance and the actual look and suit in that movie was actually really good and probably the most comic book accurate, which is big and important for me and I think is why- a lot of fans were hyped for that movie and why a lot of people will defend that movie. It's just the storyline, the direction in all those movies with the Justice League and Batman versus Superman were so bad that he didn't have a chance to shine. I was going to say good acting can't save a bad script or bad creative direction. But if you look at the Snyder Cut with Ben Affleck essentially in the same role, it is so much better. Isn't that like one hour longer? Oh, it's like four hours long, maybe even five hours. I think two Christmases ago, I dove into that and ended up loving it. But I feel like Ben Affleck is actually a great Batman. He just hasn't, hasn't been given the right story. So I don't really think he needs to be given another chance. I think everybody from the Justice League is pretty much dipping out and done. We have Aquaman 2 coming out next month. Which we just saw the trailer for that again. And your direct quote was, seeing the trailer again. It's even worse than I thought it would be. Well, after I saw it the first time, I thought it actually looked pretty good. It looked a little intense. But then seeing some of the interactions with him and some of the other characters, it came off really, really cheesy to me. And I got that worried feeling again. But right now, I'm more excited for what DC has coming than I am with Marvel. And Marvel only has one new movie coming out next year, which I'm excited about because I think they need to take a breather on movies and on TV shows. And I think... DC will have a chance to flourish in that time. I think 2025 is going to be really competitive for both Marvel and DC kind of battling out with all the new things they have coming out. But yes, I'm a little bit less excited for the new Aquaman. Also, I'm disappointed that Ben Affleck made this list because at the end, we're going to do our version of movies we think people should have regretted. (laughs) And I was going to say Gigli, but I also feel like that's a cop out. That's a given. Another one that made the list was Catherine Heigl. Could you think of what movie she regrets? Knocked up. Yeah. And it's because she thinks the movie is sexist. Yep. And that her character came across as like a shrewd, as the killjoy. I've also seen that interview because it's what started all of the Katherine Heigl hate in like 2007. She does get a lot of hate. She does. And I think they should remake Knocked Up with the roles reversed of the female being the one who is more goofy, lovable, And the one getting all the laughs and the guy being the one who, like she says, is the killjoy. Because when you do look at that script and even more movies from the early 2000s, they are very male driven. And they put a lot of these narratives that guys are the ones that get to have all the fun and the women are the downers. Well, in terms of pregnancy, I I do feel like the... Men get to have fun while the women have to carry a child for <laughs> true. 40 weeks. And I feel movie, like that part's accurate. And at the time when this movie came out, I mean, I was like 12, 13, 2007. I was you were 16. 16. Oh, yeah. That was terrible math. I thought it came out in 2003 or <laughs> that 2004. Was such bad math. It came out in 2007. I was 16. 
But even then, I, I don't know anything about parenthood. You see it as, oh, it's Seth Rogen. Let him have fun. So, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I do think she gets a lot of hate. She was then known for being this, like, stuck up, just, like, not a kind person to work with. Where in reality, like, I don't think the people that worked on Grey's Anatomy with her had bad things to say. She and Ellen Pompeo did an interview kind of about that, about, like, being a woman in Hollywood. And I thought it was really interesting. Another one that made the list was Channing Tatum, who's straight up just said that he effing hated G.I. Joe. Oh, I thought you were going to say step up. No, G.I. <sighs> Joe, which. Yeah, that movie was stupid. Channing Tatum is interesting because I think Hollywood really wanted to make him a straight on action star. They wanted to put him in all these roles because he looked the part and like, here, you're going to be the action guy. But he was never really that. He was always the romantic comedy guy in my eyes, but really a comedic genius who has great comedic timing. So I think maybe taking somebody who looks like him and realizing, oh, he actually has some really great comedic abilities. They typecast him as a pretty face with no no thoughts. Yeah. Just a face. That's, that is what it is. But yeah, G.I. Joe, terrible movie. I only watched it for him. That was in the heyday of when I was like in love would watch with anything Channing he was Tatum. In? I, I literally would watch anything. And last one that made the list is Robert Pattinson, who says he does not like Twilight. I have some opinions on this. What comes to your mind with hearing that he didn't, I guess he doesn't like the legacy of it because it's what everybody knows him as. And it's, it was hard for him to break out of that shell. Taylor Lautner said the same thing. Yeah, that's different because it created such a fandom. It's like a, I mean, a one in a million type franchise. I mean, next to like the Harry Potters and the Hunger Games Twilight came out so strong and they became so famous and the movies went on for, I mean, all throughout the late 2000s, early 2010s, that it was hard for him, even up to when the Batman came out, of people just seeing him as Edward Cullen. That's hard too, because that was, that wasn't like a strong role. That was a strong franchise. Mm -hmm. So I think that one I can understand because he was basically like, you never gave me a chance to like show my actual like acting chops. Which like he's people, a really great actor. He is. And so people just saw him as a vampire in these cheesy movies. So that one I do kind of understand because that's hard when that's like your legacy and that's all people see you as in such a like well-known franchise. I like when things become like pop culture phenomenons, I get that one a little bit. And he's not even saying he wished she didn't do it. Right. Yeah, he's just saying that it's one that he doesn't particularly like. See, and that, again, that's different than the Jacob Elordi because Kissing Booth does not have the fandom that Twilight has, and Jacob Elordi's being like, I didn't even want to do it before I did it. And I think Robert Pattinson also appreciates the platform it gave him and the ability to go on and have a career. And I don't think he looks down on Twilight fans. I think it's more his issues that he has with the industry and the roles he's been given, and just kind of erasing that mindset of I'm just Edward Cullen, which he's had to do a lot of movies and almost like overextend himself in his acting abilities to show like, look, I can do all these things. I have an incredible range. I am not just this one note vampire. One of my favorite movies he did, I think it was called Remember Me. We've oh yeah. Talked about it. I don't think you've seen it. I've been wanting to see it because somebody spoiled it. Well, you told I think me about it. Someone was me. <laughs> but I saw it on TikTok as well. I saw somebody <laughs> I think post the saddest scene. Someone was your wife. <laughs> uh, um, but yes, he's really good in that one. Yeah, he's done, I feel like he's done a lot of things since then that he's proven that he's a great actor. But yeah, you're going to look at him and think Twilight. What actor do you have and roles that you think they should have regretted? Mine was Ben Affleck. Geely? Let me think for a second. You go. Okay, well, I had ones that. I think in another five to 10 years, these actors will say that I do regret these roles. I think eventually Chris Hemsworth is going to regret Thor. Ooh, tell me more. Because I think kind of like Edward Cullen and Robert Pattinson, he just has that relationship with that character and the big fan base that is the MCU, that it's hard for him right now to break into doing normal movies. And for me... I feel like he is not the best actor. Like he is really good at action. action yeah. Ex 
He's an extraction, right? Yes. And he is trying to kind of bridge that gap a little bit of doing a little bit of drama. I think it's going to be really hard for him when everybody just wants him for his muscles. And when <laughs> the fandom is just, I want to see Thor. I want to see another Thor installment. So I think in maybe 10 years, he's going to look back and think, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. But you can't deny the platform that is the MCU. And at a time where he got in that everybody wanted to be a part of it. And you can never really deny the legacy of what he built there. I just think out of everybody in Marvel, it's going to be the hardest for him to move on. Second on that list in the same category, I think eventually Chris Evans is going to lean towards not liking the legacy of Captain America, which he has had a little bit of an easier time right now because he had a career prior to Captain America. Yeah. He was doing movies in the early 2000s, even the late 2000s. Even Wasn't as, he in the Fantastic Four? He was. Jessica Alba, full circle <laughs> He moment. was in there. But even as he was still in the MCU, he was putting out other movies. I think with him, it's more just people seeing him and thinking Captain America more so than he has to prove to people that he can do other movies. But Chris Hemsworth, I think, is going to have the hardest time. And I even wonder about other actors who are just known for one role, like Macaulay Culkin, only really known for Home Alone. I, I really think it's hard for for child actors because they get known for being a young kid and also still having to talk about things from when they were eight years old is just really weird. I don't remember things from when I was eight years old to think I could have done something then that would go on with me at times haunt me for the rest of my life. I think that has to be hard. I think you appreciate the fact that you are still like a celebrity. People want to know about you. But it's also hard to just keep having to ask questions or find random people who want to call you Kevin McAllister. I have several. Okay, hit me with them. Christian Bale in Amsterdam last year. Oh, that is a great one. I feel like that entire movie was a tax write-off for every single actor. I feel like anybody who was ever in an ensemble cast movie probably regrets it. Probably everybody also from the cast of Cats. I was thinking that because Taylor Swift did have a part in Amsterdam. And in Cats. And in Cats. But I also, I'll defend Taylor Swift till the day I die. Like, she's just having some fun. She wants to get into acting. But I, I, won't, I won't go down that route. I feel like when you take a role like that and you see everybody else who's involved in it, you think, how could this go wrong? How could I ever regret this? And then when you see it come out, you're like... Oh, man, take my name off the poster, please. Okay, my next one is um, Meg Ryan in the dumpster fire of a romantic comedy that she just put out. Oh, my gosh, that was so bad. I think that is now the worst movie we have seen this year. Yeah, I think we're just going to go ahead and put that as the worst of the year. We're calling it early? We're calling it early because I don't see how it can get worse than that. It was called What Happens Later. And the answer is nothing. It is just (laughs) her and David Duchovny hanging out. In an airport. Which I think just brought all these bad feelings of me in an airport being delayed and how boring that process is and that experience is, why would you make a movie about that? And my grand finale is uh, every single person who participated in Sex in the City 2, the movie. Oh, I think that was another one I saw made the list of which one of them regretted it. Maybe all of them. <laughs> that one does not hold up. The first one is fine because it's like their friendship. The second one is like, not only is it bad, it's culturally insensitive. They go to the Middle East, right? Yes, they go to Abu Dhabi. I love the first one. I love the first one too, but the second one, it was just like, it's kind of like them with like, and just like that, it's bad. And they're just oh putting it my out gosh, there. I forgot about it. Just like that. They got a third season. I think. Oh no. Yeah. I think that one, it, they should regret. Well, thank you for bringing that topic today. You're welcome. I do my best as the intern. Anything else you would like to say? Well, I guess I need you to come back so we can review Hunger Games because you read the book. But I would like to go ahead and throw out there. I don't remember it. I think I read it in either 2020 or 2021. And we all know I read 75 books last year. And I think I'm almost at 60 for this year. So it's like 135 books in between. It's also a really long book. The movie's going to be a surprise for me tonight. Couldn't tell you what happens. All right. Well, we'll come back with that review. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. 
Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See Home Depot. Depot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Let's get into it now. A spoiler-free movie review of Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And right at the top of this review, I would like to say, historically, I do not like prequels because it's a lot of fleshing out a story that I don't really care about. In this case, I will say it proved me wrong, but we are coming from this from two different perspectives because you read the book and enjoyed it. Mostly. What, how'd you feel about the book? It was hard to get into. I'm also trying to remember when I read it. It came out like 2020. So probably beginning of 2021. And I don't remember it being a real page turner. Like I remember having to motivate myself to finish it. And I loved the original Hunger Games books. So did I. Loved them. One of the few franchises turned movies that I read the book and went to see the movie. And I finally got the thing what people say, like the book is so much better because it so, goes so much more in depth. You did read the Hunger Games books? Oh yeah, I read every oh. single one. I read them like back to back. Learned it's like the only new. time that's ever happened that I got so excited about a book series that I needed to start the next one immediately after finishing the first one. Hasn't happened since. I didn't read this one because, honestly, I'm dumb, and the book looked too big and intimidating. It was and, not that big. Oh, it, it was a thick book. No, it was not. It was a big book. I have fatter books on the bookshelf. Look at the graphic novels I read now. <laughs> they are paper thin. Okay, one of them is not paper thin, so that argument doesn't help yourself. But I, I'm just, I just couldn't convince myself that I wanted to jump back into this world. Again, I don't really love prequels. Oftentimes, they deal with, a small slice of the story of like, this is why this person is mean. I was going to say, you don't have the original cast of characters that you fell in love with. And yeah. I think that's the magic of the Hunger Games. And you're living in that same world. So I was like, okay, I'm just not, it was going to be mediocre. Even from the trailer, it didn't really win me over. But what this movie is about, it's the origin story of President Snow. They're going into the 10th Hunger Games where, the ratings are starting to decline. People aren't watching them. And if people don't watch the Hunger Games, it takes away the point of the reason why the Capitol does it to keep everybody in line. So they are trying to find a way to make these games more appealing to people. It's kind of where they start the mentoring process of working with one of the tributes to get them likable, to get eyeballs onto the screen. So it's the origin story of how the Hunger Games came to be what we know whenever Katniss was involved, but also President Snow before he was president and his rise and going from being a normal person to being the evil person we know him as later. Overall, what I really ended up enjoying about this movie is the way they depicted the actual hunger and the scarcity of food and the reason people were going into these games is because of having a fighting chance and also just the depiction of these characters of, I feel like in that first movie of the original one, they kind of went into it scared unless they were in like the tier of like district one or district two, they were all kind of frightened and going along with it. But here they were violent. They were angry. They were lashing out. And I feel like that's a much more accurate representation of 
what somebody in this position would be like. So I like that it had a bit of a more gritty feel to it. And aside from that, the part that really won me over was the action that was so much more brutal. It stressed me. This movie felt more stressful. Like I will say I didn't enjoy that part. I just felt like my blood pressure was rising the whole movie. And it was surprising to me how bloody this one ended up being. It was brutal. Like some of the kill scenes were even like jarring to me that if this movie had an F word in it, it probably could have leaned towards a rated R like rating. And I think the reason they did that is because this movie was very much for the fan base of the Hunger Games. And we felt that going into this theater, which was surprisingly packed and that that felt like there was a passion there for Hunger Games that I didn't really know still existed. So I feel like this movie was made knowing that these fans of the original ones are now about 10 years older a little bit more mature, we can kind of go there a little bit more than we could 10 years ago of showing the brutality of the Hunger Games. So I found that really appealing to me. Yes, There was, was a youngish child in the row behind yeah. us. <laughs> I think this kid was maybe eight or nine. So I feel like in a good way, it gave the hardcore fans what they wanted and didn't really worry about alienating the people who were just maybe casually watching this movie. So it being a prequel, I feel like you still have to know and have watched those movies going into this one because they don't spend a whole lot of time explaining what the Hunger Games are. There are a lot of references to the original movie. We go back to the Hanging Tree song in this movie, like small little references to Cadmus. Oh, I've been singing it ever since we watched the movie. Stuck in my head. I was like, this is like... Coming to the tree. You were talking about the dance remix. No, the dance remix that like infiltrated pop radio. Which I forgot how impactful these movies were when they came out. So it kind of reminded me that there is a big fan base there that was itching for a Hunger Games movie because really I wasn't. And I love those movies. I love the books. But going into this one, I just had no real expectations. So I was surprised of how much I ended up enjoying it. So how did you feel about it overall? Meh. I felt pretty meh. Really? It just didn't have the appeal. I think, too, like you're supposed to understand why Snow is the way he is. But it was hard to like not hate him from the beginning, knowing what he becomes. And then they had his tribute, Lucy Gray. And I get that her like people are a singing people. Okay. There was too much singing. There was... So much singing, and I just, it was too much. Even for it being called the songbird, it was too much songbird for you. Too much song, not enough bird, just too much song. That did make me think the one thing I did not enjoy about this movie is it felt like two separate movies crammed into one. There were three parts. It would be like part one, part two, part three. Mm -hmm. It felt so disjointed. And then I kind of felt like the ending was a little rushed. I feel like those first 90 minutes, if that was just the movie, I probably would have loved it, but it probably wouldn't have told the entire origin story that they needed to tell. And obviously it's going based off the book, but that felt like a very complete 90 minute movie to me. And then it really just shifted after that. And then, like you said, yes, the ending was just very rushed. Almost matter of fact that you didn't really see the development of snow like I was expecting to see. Yeah. I will say though, Viola Davis, give her an Oscar. She was so good in it. Of course, I'm going to compare it to the original ones, but there is no replacement here for Jennifer Lawrence and having two real strong leads in a movie. Like the two leads here just don't, wouldn't really carry a franchise like they did with Katniss Everdeen and PETA in those movies. So I know those movies focused a lot on the love story and that whole star-crossed lovers plot line and everything that develops in their relationships that was a big driving force in those movies. So I don't really feel like they could continue making more Hunger Games prequels and spinoffs that would have any kind of resemblance of the original franchise because as far as just straight-on actor performances, it was so much better in those original movies and aside from Viola Davis and Jason Schwartzman, who I thought was was, so good. He was funny. And I just, it just reminds me that he can do anything quirky so well. Yeah. So aside from Hunter Schaefer was also phenomenal as Tigress snow's cousin. Yeah. I feel like overall 
the supporting characters the supporting were characters are probably better. But the thing that excited me too was my biggest criticism with the first Hunger Games movie was that they didn't spend enough to make it look good. This one looks so much better. The actual arena where the Hunger Games take place, I just feel like even the costume design was more thought out to make it more cinematically appealing. You also probably have a bigger budget, though. Because yeah, they knew true. how successful the first three were. The so first you probably one. are banking on that success and able to throw more money. And like you said, it's, what, a decade plus later? The visual effects have changed. The ability to make movies look better have changed. Yeah, they didn't have the money to invest in that first Hunger Games movie to do it justice visually. I feel like even some of the special effects in that one, uh, really throughout that entire franchise, don't really hold up to today's standards. If they were to remake those movies now, they would look entirely different. So that's also what excited me about this movie is I feel like the world of Panem finally looks like how I envisioned it while I was reading the book. So visually looks so much better. The action is so much better. The acting is still there. I just think as far as the main characters here, even though it's a President Snow origin story, nobody was as likable as Jennifer Lawrence was going to be. There was no one to grasp onto and root for. So overall, what would you rate the movie? I would give it three out of five Jabber Jays. A lot lower than I was expecting. I thought you were more excited about this one than I would be. I was. And then I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. I love to see somebody let down from a book. Do you feel that though, that you always like the book more than the movie? Yes, except for where the crawdads sing. Mm, and of- I've talked about that on here before that I liked the movie better. I had lower expectations going into this movie. And I feel like this movie had me from the very beginning and sucked me in with the action, sucked me in with all of the visual aspects that I ended up really liking it. If it would have just been that first 90 minutes, I probably would have given this movie a 4.5 easily. I do think at one point it kind of loses its footing and goes a little bit all over the place. And you really have to pay attention to the development of Snow, which I feel like could have been executed a little bit better. But overall, I love this movie way more than I was expecting. I give it a strong four out of five guitars. I think if they would have... Not the guitars. Not the guitars. If they... Honestly, would have taken out some of the singing and not focused so much on <sighs> that character. I feel like it would have been a stronger movie. I'm happy with if this is the last thing we see from Hunger Games, I'm good. Unless she decides to write another book that focuses on maybe like the very first Hunger Games, which I thought is what this book and movie was going to be. I think that would be interesting to know about that history. But I just think you'll start to lose all of these recognizable characters that you learn from watching all the other movies, reading all the books, that it would just feel like an entirely different movie. Because this one, I felt like it was going to be a little bit of a stretch, but it actually worked for me. That is our thoughts on The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. There you go. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, 
how doers get more done. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. I am hesitant to get excited about a Sony Spider-Verse movie. Last time I came on here and shared with you Craven the Hunter, which is their R-rated villain origin story. I think it's just because what they did with one of my favorite Spider-Man villains of all time, Venom. As much as I love that character, I can't say in good faith that I love both of those movies, even though I saw them in theaters. I've rewatched them since they've been on streaming. I'll take them for what they are, but as far as the quality of the Sony Spider-Verse side, it really hasn't been there. They have created arguably... One of the worst, if not the worst, Marvel movie of all time with Morbius. But they are trying to counter-program the MCU, which they are really in no way associated with. Their two worlds have no real plans on merging, although they tease us with it. But they focus solely on origin stories, mostly of anti-heroes and villains. But in this case, what we're talking about today is Madam Web. At least in the comic books, Madam Web is this mentor to a lot of Marvel characters. Spider-Man in particular is the character that she guided along. In this movie specifically, she is played by Dakota Johnson and she has this ability to see the future and ends up connecting her with these three other characters. One of them is played by Sydney Sweeney, who is going to be the character who goes on to be Spider-Woman. So there are some interesting things actually going on in this story. And again, that is what I love, that they are focusing solely on origin stories and self-contained movies. They're really not trying to build this whole big cinematic world. Maybe they loosely connect, but all of their stories kind of exist in this world. But I think they're just trying to make good movies that will not bomb at the box office. So before I tell you more about Madam Web, here's just a little bit bit of the trailer. I don't understand what's happening. I've been having visions. I knew he was going to die. I think I'm seeing the future. So Dakota Johnson plays this paramedic and she sees these people and has visions of them dying. And that leads her to partnering up with Sydney Sweeney's character, who, like I said, goes on to become Spider-Woman. You also have Emma Roberts in this cast. She's not featured in the trailer, but it looks like from the listing on IMDb, she is going to play Spider-Man's mom, Mary Parker. So the worlds here are so connected without giving us Spider-Man. But instead, you have Madam Web, who is connected to all of these Spider-Man related characters. When I first heard that Dakota Johnson and Sidney Sweeney were attached to the project, I didn't know what the tone of the movie was going to be, but after watching the trailer, it has kind of a darker tone than I was expecting. I did think it was going to have more of an R-rated feel to it. It still doesn't have a rating, but it looks like a maybe PG-13 movie, which I think I'm okay with because you can kind of walk that line. I think they still, like Marvel, want to appeal to a younger audience But man, if they would have really committed to an R-rated movie like they are doing with Kraven the Hunter, the villain in this movie actually looks like it could lend itself to that really well. But when it comes to the stars of this movie, I think that is what's giving me some faith that it'll actually be pretty good. I think Dakota Johnson is highly underrated as an actor. She has been in so many great movies that she's become one of those people that if her name is attached to it, I'm going to watch it. Some movies she's done recently like Cha Cha Real Smooth, The Lost Daughter, Peanut Butter Falcon. She has shown her range, but I really haven't seen her in a role like this in a superhero world. And I think she's also one of those actors who has had a role that has kind of kept her typecast in the public mind. The Fifty Shades of Grey movies were the ones that put her on the map and people just see her and associate her with those movies despite the fact that she has done some really great work since then. I would say with Peanut Butter Falcon alone she has proved herself that she is so much more than her character in those movies. And then you have Sydney Sweeney who is really pulling at becoming the next big Hollywood star. Also starring in the movie we talked about recently with Glenn Powell. Now she's in a Marvel franchise. So I think maybe there's a plan for her if this movie does well to give her a solo Spider-Woman movie. So this will be the first of the Spider-Verse movies to come out next year. It's coming out on February 14th, 2024, followed by Craven the Hunter on August 30th. 
And there's still supposed to be the third Venom movie coming out on November 8th, but that movie is still filming. So that one will probably get pushed back just because of the writers and actor strike probably held up that movie a little bit. So I see one of my theories clashing with one of my others because I was saying in order to help the MCU right now is they need to take a little bit of a break and only put out one movie. And they're actually doing that next year in 2024. We're only getting Deadpool 3, but then you have the Sony Spider-Verse side doing their own thing, putting out these three movies. So I wonder to the general audience if they're going to be able to differentiate between both of those, which I think for the most part, even talking to Kelsey earlier, she doesn't really know the difference. So I think that also hurts them a little bit because you just see Marvel and you think MCU and then you see bad box office numbers and you associate that all with Marvel not doing well. So I'm a little biased here because Spider-Man is my favorite superhero and I just want any kind of Spider-Man related content. And I'm not expecting these movies to really break new ground on the genre. I just like to see characters get the attention that they don't normally get in the MCU. I'm also drawn to films where the main character isn't exactly a hero. And it's probably also because I'm such a big Dakota Johnson fan that I am actually excited for the movie. Again, it comes out on Valentine's Day next year. February 14th. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for another episode here of the podcast. But before I go, I got to give my listener shout out of the week. This week, I'm going over to X and the listener shout out of the week is to Justin Words because I reposted the interview I did with the Blue Beetle director because the movie is now out to stream on Max, which I've gone into depth of how much I love this movie in the review, in the spoiler review, in the interview with the director. So if you missed that interview, go back just a few episodes to check that out. But before you do that, go watch Blue Beetle on Max because I promise you, you will have a good time. And if you don't have a good time, well, you're not out any extra money because you already have a Max subscription. But Justin wrote, literally just watched it last night on Max. It was great. A lot of well-timed humor and a good story. Was actually waiting to see it before listening to this podcast. So this is right on time. So yeah, go watch the movie. Check out the reviews. There's also a full spoiler review where I talk about all the details of it. If you end up enjoying it, tell me what was your favorite part. And if you ended up hating it, tell me what part you hated the most. And until next time, go out and watch good movies, and I will talk to you later. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.